You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. I'm Steve Morrison, Senior Vice President at CSIS and Director of the Global Health Policy Center. In mid-February, I attended the Munich Security Conference, at which I organized a town hall focused on COVID-19. I was able to connect with some of the foremost leaders of global agencies, donor organizations, foundations, and others to discuss their organization's efforts on pandemic prevention and what needs to be done. In this episode, you will hear from Paul Stoffels, Vice Chairman of the Executive Committee and Chief Scientific Officer at Johnson & Johnson. This is Steve Morrison, CSIS. I'm here at the Munich Security Conference here today, Friday, February 14th, and we're together with Paul Stoffels, Vice Chairman and Chief Scientific Officer of Johnson & Johnson. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. So we want to talk about the coronavirus outbreak, specifically with reference to to China. I'd like to get your views on two things. The first is to get your overall view of where are we right now in terms of the outbreak, the status of the outbreak internally within China and more broadly globally. And then we'd like to shift to hear more about the sorts of actions that are being planned out right now in terms of Johnson & Johnson's role in the response, in particular with respect to the development of vaccines. So thank you so much for being with us, Paul. Maybe let's start with just the big picture. How do you see the coronavirus outbreak right now within China and beyond? Well, corona has, uh, to all our surprise, I think, spread very fast. It started in Wuhan, and within a very short period, it spread over the whole of China. We have had many incidents now across the world. Many countries have been up to uh, several cases, have been confronted. So it's clear that this is a virus which is spreading fast and can cause significant disease. What we don't know yet is what is the real mortality based on the real incidence. Mm -hmm. It could be milder if the real reported incidence would be much higher. And so it's still learning on what is the real mortality, how fast is it spreading, how is it spreading, is it to airdrops, is it to touching, is it to different ways to better protect in the rest of the world. Also the therapy, how can people who are sick can be treated best preventing of healthcare workers, a lot need to be learned at the moment on that. So it's the beginning. But if you look over the last so many years on the different outbreaks, then we had SARS 15 years ago. And SARS, let's say, was more lethal, but spread slower and was fast brought under control. Everyone knows Ebola. Ebola is very regional in Africa. It had some escapes to the West where infected healthcare workers, but with good hygienic rules and measures by the countries themselves, uh, as well as vaccines and therapies, the disease was brought under control. Still, there is an epidemic ongoing in Congo, but more than 25 outbreaks were there, and every time it was under control. This This is a new virus. This This is is a new virus, virus, entirely new virus. And we have never seen such a significant spread in such a short time. And that's why this is worrying 
it's not to cause panic, there's no time yet for really panic, but we have to really watch what's happening here and act accordingly and be prepared for worse. How would you characterize the response within China up to now? I think is, uh, the response, as in all circumstances, has been extremely good. Getting to lock down a whole city of 10 million people before somebody takes that conclusion, I think few countries in the world would do that. I must admire on how the healthcare workers and China has been working on this. And of course, it's in their local circumstances, introducing new diagnostics, new treatment, testing out in an emergency. It's an unprecedented response to a very high risk epidemic. In the so world. we have these uncertainties, the scientific uncertainties around transmissibility and severity of the disease. And what is the full spectrum of illness, yeah. and we're trying to march forward on that. The Chinese government has taken these extraordinary measures in terms of quarantining, mobilizing the country in, this, in the midst of this. Do you think that we're on the edge of a, of a globalization of a pandemic, do you think? I hope not, but there is a risk that it could be a pandemic. And that's where also all the other countries who have cases have to do the same as China is doing, making sure people are isolated and put in quarantine until sure that they don't infect anymore or not become sick. So the world has to be very vigilant on this and the whole population has to be very vigilant on this that the right measures are taken. Now, there's a race underway, and there were high-level meetings in Geneva this week. I know you've been personally and institutionally, J&J, been extremely active at positioning yourselves to be one of the lead interests in development of vaccines. Tell us a bit about that. What is in play right now? We participated in trying to combat epidemics in the past. We made a vaccine for Ebola, which is now being deployed in Congo and Rwanda in large scale, 500,000 people will be vaccinated in Congo, 200,000 in Rwanda, to prevent the disease from spreading and hopefully we can, uh, we can stop the epidemic there. We uh, started in an accelerated development for Zika. So from time to when we had the virus, within 12 months, we were able to make a vaccine, bring it in volunteers, study it, and showed that we could protect animals and people. Now, since we have the technology and this emerging pandemic is there, we kicked off uh, mid-January when the genetic code became available for the virus. Our teams in our labs, in our research labs, started to uh, construct vaccines. And since we have a platform which allows both creating vaccines in a very flexible way for different pathogens, different viruses, and at the same time a upscaling platform where we can make up to hundreds of millions of vaccines. That's a combination which is needed to be ready for can a pandemic. You, can I just interrupt for a moment? For those who are not technical experts in this area, what does that mean uh, to have these types of platforms? And how unusual, this is, you're drawing on the work that you've created in these other disease areas in order to move ahead and with this yeah. respect. Can you just explain a bit more? Yeah, for more than 10 years, we have done research. Um, vaccine is a vector, which a vector is a other virus, a cold virus, which has been made deficient for replication, so it can't make you sick. But we can use the backbone of that virus to make space to put in a piece of the coronavirus, and that gives the ability to bring it into people with an injection and the, the body reacts as if it is an infection. Yes. And that protects the people from, that protects you as a person from getting that disease. That is one part of it. The other part of it is these viral vectors need to be produced in large quantities. And so we have optimized cell lines. So these type of vectors, they grow on cells. 
We have optimized these cell lines so that they can be produced in very high quantities in these cell lines. And that allows us to, first of all, go fast because it is a standing production mechanism, but also go very large. Uh, meaning that in a thousand liter vessel, we can produce about more than 100 million vaccines on a 12-month basis. And that would allow then to, once a vaccine is there, to produce very quickly large quantities to protect. So you need two things. You need a way to bring the virus, trick the body with the virus, which then makes it responsive to that vaccine. And then secondly, get the production platform. So sketch out for us what the most optimistic scenario would look like right now in terms of developing a vaccine, putting it through phase one, phase two trials, getting to the point where you scale up. This is always a, a concern, right? In terms of speed, in terms of the having the financial capital to be able to carry it forward to scale and having the manufacturing capacity to carry forward it to scale. And there's always been this deliberation of how do you get the private sector engaged and ready to go so that there's not interruptions or the technologies get developed up to a point and then can't go forward. And what you're sketching out is that J&J's going into the deep end in a very serious way on this, making a commitment which is a very unusual. Uh, it, it's a standout in terms of the major companies in the world that are capable of doing this. Lay out for us what you see as the optimistic scenario. If we work as fast as we can and we do everything in parallel from developing, creating a vaccine, testing it in animals, starting to uh, prepare it for testing in humans, at the same time upscaling to do this, validation of the quality, everything else. We think that the first animal experiments are already ongoing, but by end of March, a few week, a few months, we should have a good view on where they can make a vaccine. That is mm-hmm. step one. Can mm-hmm. we create, in, mm-hmm. can, in animal models, can we show that we can generate antibodies in, in animals uh, very soon? The next step is, can we get it into the vector so that we can produce it on a large scale? And that is happening in parallel. And so when that is done, we have to test whether it can be upscaled. Yeah? So the vector, mm-hmm. we make the vector, we upscale. And so by the summer, we should have a good idea when we can upscale, whether we can upscale it. And at some point in this process, you appeal for emergency use authorization, correct? And um, if this is an emergency and you need to yeah. get a regulatory authority to go forward, how does that work? How does that sequence well, in what you're so talking about? Within eight to 12 months, we will be able to start testing in humans. Mm-hmm. That will then show whether it's safe and whether we can generate immune protection in, in humans. Then we have to do larger scale clinical trials. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can do that very rapidly in collaboration with the regulatory authorities on what design, what type of studies we need to do in what countries, because for this we need to go to infected countries. So if that all goes well, then within 18 months, we should have a vaccine which is proven and available on large scale. In that process, we start with a discussion now in the next few weeks, months, with the regulatory authorities. What is the pathway to get to this conditional approval or this emergency approval? And we'll work very closely together with the governments around the world to prepare for that. It's not just us. This is yeah. like a collaborative effort between industry, governments, 
clinical institutions in the world, institutions who will, in, like Gavi and others, who will implement vaccines later. We have to work together here to get to a preventive action that we can still have a significant impact on the disease. So tell us, who are the major partners here? To start with, the major partners is FDA as a regulator, EMA as a regulator, hopefully soon China. Mm -hmm. We have to start working with China. Mm -hmm. Difficult at the moment because it's difficult to travel there, but we'll have to find a way. We have our own people on the ground in China from our own company, clinical people, regulatory people who are very fluent Chinese also. We can deal with it. We make drugs. We got 12 drugs approved in the last 18 months in China, so we know what we have to do. So the we are going to mobilize our organization to interface with the regulators. That's number one. Second, uh, then, is what, to interface with the clinical research organizations in the world who can help to set this up. Phase one, we know very well. The first administration in humans, we best do in Europe and the US because we can go fast. And we know the centers, that is like a matter of weeks or a month that, that we can line it all up. Getting into clinical trials, we need to start working and preparing three, six months on beforehand in the region with the centers to prepare the clinical settings where we are going to do this. And that's again with the government. Is that in the US with the NIH, in Europe with uh, large clinical institutions in each of the countries, in China with the government and large clinical institutions. It's a collaborative effort. I can't say it otherwise. If, if we don't find that collaboration, it doesn't work. And what are the things that worry you the most? What keeps you awake at night now as you think about this? Because this is Pretty big ambition, and it's a fast-breaking, potentially globalized problem. And you're positioning J and J to assume some pretty vast commitments. Downstream. Well, the biggest, how, the how biggest you... challenge is get everybody aligned on the same goal. Time mm -hmm. to result, yeah. And everyone has to do their piece there, yeah. So we do ours. Everyone has to step in. If we say we can do this in 18 months, it counts on others joining in that very aggressive timeline. It doesn't worry me. We can get it done, but it's still a big effort to do that. The second piece is, of course, timely starting with manufacturing so that at a certain point when it's really needed, the fastest possible moment we can have it available technically, we should have it. Therefore, we need commitments from countries to join us in the manufacturing efforts. This is making half a billion vaccines is not for nothing. Yeah, so right. it's a real, real big investment. And, and this is unprecedented. That's unprecedented. Uh, first that, of all, that imagined level of, you know, that projected level of production is unprecedented. Uh, it's unprecedented. It's never done before, so it, it requires big resources. But at the same time, first of all, let me say, I hope we don't need it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I hope we don't need it. But at the moment, we don't know. So let's be prepared and on time do the right investments for upscaling that one day when it's needed, it is there. And it uh, might be faster or it might be never there. But at this moment, we should not hesitate. Thank you. Um, just one last question. I mean, you're, you're working closely with U.S. authorities. You've mentioned this. Yeah. FDA in particular. What are the other touch points with the U.S. government that are most important in this particular uh, vision that you have? Very important is BARDA, yeah, the division of HHS, uh, who, the Health and Human Services, who has been instrumental in first doing Ebola and collaborating with us over the last probably six, seven years on this. So BARDA is a, is a group which is very instrumental. Europe is an institution IMI, where there is a very large private-public public, public, collaboration between industry and Europe, 
to invest in uh, innovation. They contributed big time to the progress of this. And then the foundations like the Wellcome Trust, like Gates, like others um, who have also contributed. So the big, for us, the big support in this comes from large, large governments right. in the world. Yeah. But you and you'll ultimately need a, a pretty deep buy-in from Chinese authorities. Yes. And how do you go about achieving that? Do you think we have very, very long-standing and very good relationship as, as the Anson J and J with the Chinese authorities, and I'm sure, the way we approach this, we'll be able to find a good collaboration. Of course, the quantities for China is very large, so right. we absolutely need to take into account. But also their regulators and their scientists need to be involved in developing this because we'll have to do clinical trials, most probably in China, to prove efficacy. But we as a company work together in many different fields. We have at the moment a large TB program ongoing with the Chinese authorities on XDR-TB, on, on bringing a new therapy on a large scale. We have been working with China on many different activities over the last, I think, now 35 years. And uh, we are deep ingrained in, in the country for collaboration. So I don't see that as a problem. The one problem is there, of course, difficult to travel to China. Correct. And from Chinese to travel here. But we have a large contingent of people on the ground. JNJ has 10,000 people in China, so uh, of which we have at least four or 500 people in research and in regulatory. So we will be able to do it with our people on the ground and have a large contingent who can work on this. Well, thank you so much for taking time with us today My pleasure. to walk thank us you. through all of this. And we wish you all the very best. And I hope we can double back to you soon and get an update. That's promised. We'll get an update as we go through the year. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. <laughs>